Amen. Can we get that choir hand clap this morning? Good job, guys. Thank you. Thank you for that wonderful singing this morning. If you have your Bibles this morning, 1 Kings chapter 19, I'm going to allow you to sit down because I'm going to read to you here for just a minute, beginning with verse 1. When Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah, may the God strike me and even kill me by this time tomorrow if I have not killed you just as you killed them. Elijah was afraid, fled for his life, went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree, or a juniper tree is another translation, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. Then he laid down and slept under the juniper tree, or broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. He looked around, and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. That sounds really good, doesn't it? I've never cooked on hot stones, but it sounds like it would be good. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, Get up and eat some more. No diet for you today, or the journey ahead will be too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. The food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. There he came to a cave where he spent the night. But the Lord said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel, they broke your covenant, torn down your altars, killed every one of the prophets. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. As Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by. A mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast, the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was a fire. The Lord was not in the fire. After the fire, there was a sound of a gentle whisper or a still small voice. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak, went out and stood at the entrance of the cave, and a, and a voice said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replies again, I've zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, killed every one of the prophets. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. If, if I could for just a few minutes this morning... I want to talk to you on the Mount Carmel meltdown. The Mount Carmel meltdown. Now, I'm, I'm a word junkie, and so I look up definitions, and I looked up the word meltdown, and this is what it means. It means frustration. See if you can, see if you can relate with any of these words today. Meltdown. It means frustration. You're frustrated. It means anxiety. That means you lay down at night, and your heart's still pounding, and your mind is still racing, and you can't sleep. It means stress. It means to be upset. A matter of fact, it even means depression. Now, as Christians, we don't like talking about depression. No, 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 no child of God ain't going to go through no depression. Now, if you're a child of God, let me tell you something. That is a lie, folks. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. There are Christians that are born again, good believers, and they struggle with depression. They struggle with anxiety. It means to be emotionally overwhelmed by something that is no longer, a, you cannot control the feeling that you feel and you cannot hide it from other people any 
longer. That is what you call a meltdown. It is when people walk up to you and say, hey, what's wrong with you, man? Why well, you don't look like yourself today? What you're having is simply a meltdown. Well, I want you today to know that the man of God, Elijah, had the same problem. He had a meltdown. He went into anxiety. He went into depression. I want to tell you, I've learned this in my life, that some of the lowest times in my life will come on the heels of some of my greatest victories. Maybe God gives us a great victory so that we can make it through the valley that we are about to have to go through. This is seen happening all through the Word of God. And today I want to show you that shortly after a victory on Mount Carmel, there is a meltdown. We see the man of God under a juniper tree wishing to die. And I'm going to give you five steps to how he got underneath that juniper tree if I could this morning. And I want you to grab this. I do believe, and don't misunderstand me, I do believe that the Christian life is a victorious life, all right? I don't want anybody to leave this building say the preacher preached gloom, doom, and agony and despair on me. That is not what I'm preaching to you this morning. There is a way out of your trouble. But I also want you to realize that life is real and struggles are real. Depression is real. Stress is real. Anxiety is real. So if you are dealing with some of this, these things, don't let the devil try to tell you that you're not a child of God or you're less than a child of God or you're not as good as these other Christians. If you were a good Christian, then you do things different. If you were a good Christian, you wouldn't go through these things. I want to tell the devil that there was a man in the Bible named Job that was upright and perfect in all of his ways. He's the greatest man in all the east, but yet the devil struck him. God gave him, pulls down the hedge, gives him permission to strike Job. This is what Job says to us. He says, man's days are few, but they are full of what? They are full of trouble. What he was trying to tell us is there's a lot of victories. We thank God for victories, but he also wants us to understand that there are going to be times that we are going to find ourselves like Elijah in the cave, and we've had enough. And so today I want to give you five simple steps. The first one is this. He wanted to be left alone. This is some steps to the juniper tree. When Elijah is going through this, he just wanted to be left alone. Is there anybody in the house that knows what I'm talking about when you just want to be alone? You don't want your husband there. You don't want your wife there. You love them. You love your kids. You love your friends and all those around you. But you just need to be alone. Has anybody ever got in the car and just rode down the road just to think things through? The reason you did that is because you didn't want to talk to anybody else. You simply wanted to be left alone. Now the Bible tells us in verse 4 that the man of God leaves his servant behind and he journeys alone to go pray. See, I want you to understand he's broken. He's a man of God, but he has reached his breaking point. There are times when a man needs to be left alone. A matter of fact, Jacob crosses the river Jabbok. The Bible says that there he was left alone and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. He wrestled with that angel and said, I will not let you go except you bless me. So please understand me. There are times that you need to be alone. Even Jesus broke away and went to a mountain alone to pray. There's times you need to be alone. But you don't need to be alone in the middle of a meltdown. Did you grab it? When you are going through this and you have lost it, you're out of control, you are depressed, you do not need to be alone. During times of crisis, you need to join yourself together with friends and family of 
faith and be strengthened by their fellowship and their love for you, their concern for you. You've got to learn there's times you have to rely on people that you can trust. Now, if you're in the middle of a meltdown, please don't go to the church gossiper for encouragement. That's not the one you need to go to. You don't need to go to a discourager, somebody that's going to pat you on the head and say, oh yeah, I've been there too and let me tell you something, it's just horrible. I'm telling you, it's been so hard on me lately too. I, I feel like I'm breaking down too. That's not what you need in your life. You don't need a pessimist in your life that all they ever see is the negative things in life and the bad things in life. When you're going through this meltdown, that's not the person you need to be around. You need to be around a man or woman of God that knows how to pray, that's been through some mess, but they came out on the other side and they're going to tell you God's going to do the same thing for you. You cannot just be alone during a meltdown. Number two, he began to exaggerate his troubles. I mean, he, does he, have we got any drama queens in the house? Now, now for you, don't you dare, Brian. And I... We'll talk Monday. Listen, <laughs> if you have a daughter, folks, let me tell you something. I got a daughter, and I'm going to tell you something. Girls are drama. I'm sorry, ladies. As they grow up, they mature, I guess, and it gets better, right? Yeah, amen. Hallelujah. I'll go with that. We're going to stick with the little kids that aren't here that I can pick on. Drama, drama, drama. And according to Brian, sometimes I'm a little drama queen. <laughs> sometimes we all got a little drama in us. But if we're not careful, when we're going through a meltdown, sometimes we exaggerate our problems. In other words, we make them worse than they really are. In verse 4, this is what the man of God says. He is going through a meltdown. He says, God, you know what you ought to do to me? You ought to just kill me. I don't believe in committing suicide, but if you'd let a lightning bolt, bolt fall from the sky and strike me and I die, it wouldn't be suicide. So here I am, Lord, just take my life now. Get rid of me now. There, I'm the only one here. He exaggerates. His problem was bad, folks, but it wasn't that bad. There's some in this house, I need to tell you, your problem is bad, but it isn't that bad. I was, I was listening to a, a story the other day. Old Tony Evans was telling. He was talking about this man that walks into the doctor's office. When he goes into the doctor's office to get his prognosis from some tests he's had. He says, listen buddy. He says, Roy, there's uh, some bad news for you. And then there's some really bad news for you. Which one do you want first? Roy says, I'm telling you, I'm just going to start off with the bad news. And, and, and get that. What's the bad news, doc? He looks at him and says, you're dying, Roy. You're dying. That's the bad news. He says, takes a big swallow and says, huh, well, it can't be nothing worse than that. I'm dying anyhow. Give me the really bad news. He says, I should have called you yesterday. It can get bad, but sometimes it can get really bad. We exaggerate the problem. You understand, in our mind, we make things worse than they really are. One man told me one time, he said, we can think things into existence that really aren't problems. In other words, we have already diagnosed ourselves. Listen, if, if we convince ourselves, if I, if I go to the doctor, I know me, alright, I, I do have a little, little bit of that exaggeration in me, and, and as you can tell the way I preach, I'm very exaggerative. Throwing arms, slinging, hallelujah, I'm exaggerative. If I were to go to the doctor tomorrow and the doctor look at me and say, Jimmy, I hate to tell you, buddy, but there is a knot on your neck and I really don't like the way that looks. I'm coming back and we're going to have an all-night prayer service. I'm dying with cancer. Anybody understand what I'm talking about? 
We're going to have it on the prayer chain. We're going to have it all over, all over Six Mile. It's going to extend all the way to the region. The Ch Church of God in South Carolina is going to know Jimmy's dying with cancer. We better touch heaven. And then I go back to a doctor a couple weeks later. Hey, buddy, I, there wasn't nothing to it. I just, you know, wanted to make sure. What I'm telling you is sometimes in our mind we create these little secondary lives, if I can call it that, and we say this is what I'm going to be. When God is saying, listen, you need to quit going there. You need to stay where you are. And you need to understand you have to have faith. Don't allow, your mind has power, folks. Your mind can make you think things that aren't even true. And so we have to be careful that we don't exaggerate the problem. You know, I was thinking yesterday as I was studying, how many ministers and good church leaders have left their post, quit their position because there was a problem that arose that they thought they would never be able to get over and instead of working through it they just left and they quit because they thought the problem was bigger than it was listen folks somebody is worse off than you are today somebody is dealing with something worse than I am today do you understand there's some people that would say my God I would give everything to be where you are I would somebody say well I got bad health preacher my, 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 my back's been hurting me well let me tell you something there's somebody today in a wheelchair that would give everything to have the backache that you have as long as they could still scuttle across the floor. So don't, don't exaggerate the problem. It's bad, but Elijah, it's not that bad. It could be worse. Number three, this man of God, he's a great man of God, great preacher, prophet. Number three, he became inactive for God. Does anybody know what inactive means? That simply means he stops. When you take a player on the football field, he gets injured, you make him inactive, that means he's not allowed to get into the game. Elijah says in verse 4, he says, I have had enough. This is what he said. He said, I have had enough, Lord, just take my life. In other words, what he's saying is, I have taken all that I'm going to take. I have dealt with enough pain. I've dealt with enough stress. I've been depressed long enough. Basically, what Elijah is saying in layman's terms is, I quit. How many of you know today that if you quit, the devil takes great pleasure in that? How many of you know there's some of you, you are so close to victory, and the devil wants you to quit right now. If you just hold on a little longer, victory is going to be yours. But you've got to trust the process, and you've got to wait for God to move. Listen, listen. He just says, I'm going to be inactive. I'm not doing anything. Sometimes when we get in this meltdown, we say, well, my God, I'm no good to myself. I'm definitely not no good to anybody else. Well, I'm going to tell you something, folks. I get up here every single week, and I preach to you. Every single week's not my best week. Every single week, I'm not on the mountaintop, been praying and fasting for 40 days, and I feel like preaching. Do you understand what I'm telling you? But I get up here, and I do it anyhow. Because I refuse to quit, even though I may be stressed, even though I may be going through something that prior week that just knocked the wind out of me. And I feel like I need to be preached to myself. But I get up and I do it anyhow because I say I will not be inactive for God. I'm not going to quit. The enemy will take pleasure in that. There's other people that would take pleasure in that. Don't give them the opportunity to take pleasure to seeing you quit what God's called you to do. You do it anyhow. I've seen pastors and preachers that have fallen, and it's a shame. I've seen it in the church of God. 
to where there's people around them that celebrate their fall. Let me tell you something. That person is a hypocrite. That's all they are. They're a hypocrite. If you celebrate when a man or woman of God falls and becomes inactive in the service of the Lord and quits doing his or her job, there's something wrong with you. You're demented. Because a child of God, we never, all through the Scripture, we are never told to tear down anyone. We are always told, lift them up. We are always told, if they're climbing the mountain and their knees are feeble and weak, you give them your hand and you pull them up because that is what Christians do. Do you understand? We should not celebrate. See, this is what the man of God said in one place. He said, rejoice not over me, my enemy, when I fall. For when I fall, I will will rise back up again. I want the devil to know today there's some people that may be having a meltdown, but by the grace of God, just keep on keeping on and say, devil, you will not rejoice over me. Can you imagine how happy the devil was when Elijah, the man of God, does this? I mean, can you imagine? If you're the devil, this is a victory, buddy. This is a victory. He just gets inactive, goes to the cave, gets under this broom tree, this juniper tree, says, I'm done, I'm just ready to die. Point number four, he forgot God's past blessings. I want you to get this really good, this is good. He forgot God's past blessings. Now, the Mount Carmel experience, you can go back to my title screen there. The Mount Carmel experience, and and as you can see, uh, that's good where the words are, because this is a picture of Mount Carmel. Uh, in, in, um, in Israel, Mount Carmel is the place that Elijah, as you Bible readers may know, he went on top of the mountain. He has a, a showdown with Baal, who's a false god, known as the god of rain. He goes to the top of that mountain and he says, you know what we're going to do? We're going to have a showdown. The god that answers by fire, let him be God. The god that does not answer by fire, he's a false god. They agree. He goes to this mountain. They have a showdown. The Bible says that Baal's prophets got on the altar. They jump on it. They tear down the altar of God's the first thing that happens. They say, would you please rain fire down on us, Baal? Show these people that you're God. Just rain down the fire. The Bible says they pray to noonday. They've been praying since the morning all the way going into the evening and afternoon. Until the man of God finally says, listen, enough's enough. Time out. It's my turn. It took y'all all day long praying. I'm going to pray 60 six words and my God is going to answer because he's an on time God and he is the only God that anyone should worship he's not going to be showed up and showed out on by this false God Bell over here he's fixing to show out on the top of Mount Carmel like you've never seen before he begins to repair the altar that's the first thing he does in their sermon and that but I don't have time to preach it he repairs the altar gets down on his knees begins to pray in a few words he says you know what Lord show them prove to them that you our God. It was at the prayer of this man that the fire of God fell and consumed the offering, even lapped up the water. There is a benefit in recalling victories from your past. Because victories from your past can give you courage to face the present situation that you're going through. Now there's some people that live in the past because that's all they got to grab on because they don't believe God's going to do anything greater in the future. That's not what I'm talking about. You've got to let go of the past to be able to move into the future. But what I'm telling you is when you're standing here and you're going through this meltdown, sometimes you've got to go back and say, God, 
We need to look at the last time I had a meltdown and let's figure out, you know, about this thing. Let's figure out about a past victory. And see, the thing that bothers me is that the man of God literally hours ago, hours ago, he has just called fire down from heaven and because Jezebel threatens his life, he runs off the mountain, runs into a cave, has a meltdown, goes into depression. Now he finds himself under the shade of a juniper tree and he's depressed, ready to die. Just kill me. How in the world can you go from a mountaintop experience like that to a place of a meltdown? See, there's somebody in here today that you need to look back right now. The devil has tried tried to convince you that it's the end. He's tried to convince you that you're going to lose. He's tried to convince you that there's no victory in sight. But God sent me to tell you today like He told Elijah. It is time for you to look back at the things that God has done for you. You need to pull something from your past and you need to remember that God's been faithful to you. Why in the world would He leave you right now when you're having a, a meltdown? So there's a benefit in this. And I'm going to show you what it is. David did this in preparation to fight the giant. The Bible tells us that when he got ready to fight Goliath, he goes to Saul. Saul offers him his armor. Saul offers him his, his helmet. Saul offers him his shoe coverings. He, he offers him his sword, his spear. Everything that a warrior uses to fight in Israel's army, he offers to David. Now what does David do? Anybody know? This isn't Bible error yet. Don't answer. I may ask it that night. Let's not give away. I'm going to go ahead and tell you. All right, I'll tell you. And so David looks at him and says, you know what? I haven't proven these things. All right? I can't, I can't wear it. What David was trying to do was to pull from his past. He's never used a sword. He's never fought a battle. He's never fought a giant. He doesn't need armor. He's never worked. He tried to put it on. It's too heavy. He's not used to that. He can't even hardly move in this mess. But there's one thing that he can relate to. While he cannot relate to the sword and the armor, he can relate to a sling and a stone. <laughs> and he pulls from his past, which is a beautiful story, one of my most favorite things in all the Bible. I love reading it, and I love it. It's probably my favorite of all the Bible. When he looks at Saul and says, Saul, you got to keep your armor. But there was a day that I remember a lion came out. When that lion came out, you know what? I got this sling. I got this stone. I took care of that old lion. And whenever that bear came out to get my sheep another day, he says, I had this in my hand, my staff, and I had my sling and my stone. I took care of that lion, and I took care of that bear. I'm going to pull from my past victory to get me through this present situation. And he says, the same God that delivered the bear and the lion to me is the same God that's going to kill this old uncircumcised dirty Philistine today he's coming down baby because I refuse to sit back and think there's no hope for me I'm going to give up we're going to die we're going to become slaves of the Philistines no sir he said it ends right here and it ends right now God gave me victory then God's going to give me victory now and you know the story the story simply goes guess what David won the battle. Listen, you need to pull some strength from your past before you face the giant. Before you go to that job interview, you better go ahead and get down on your knees and remember how God's been faithful and always paid your bills. And if you need an increase, God will give you an increase if you'll be faithful in your tithe. Do you understand what I'm preaching to you today? You cannot allow a Jezebel just like this man does. Jezebel. 
causes them to flee. You've got to pull from past victories. You need to remember. If you could call fire down on that mountain and kill 850 of Baal's prophets. My Lord have mercy man of God. Why in the world are you hiding, hiding from one woman? Seriously. If you called fire down from heaven there. If she attacks you. I'll let you call fire down from heaven again. Because I did it in the past. I'm going to do it now. But he's having a breakdown. He's breaking down. And then lastly I'll close with this. This is very dangerous. The man of God Elijah. Who we all know is a great man of God. He questioned God's will for his life. Go to verse 10. Shavy. Let's look at it. He tells us in verse 10. He says Elijah replied. I have zealously, because he asked him, he said, what are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've zealously served the Lord. That simply means that I've given it all I've got. I've been active. I've been devoted. I've been diligent. How many of you have ever felt like you've served God faithfully and God has forsaken you? How do you think Jesus felt when he went in the garden and the only words that he could say is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What did God say to him? What, what does God say when he gets in the garden? Or on the cross he says that. But in the garden he tells God. He says you know what Lord. If there's any way that we can get this cross thing. Not to happen. Then please let, let, let's go that route. What did God say when he prayed that prayer? Anybody know? He, God didn't say a word. He is in his moment of pain. If any time in the scripture Jesus is about to have a meltdown, it's in the garden of Gethsemane. He asked God, God, can we let this thing pass? God didn't say yes. God didn't say no. It is total darkness. On the cross, he's dying for the sins of the world. The father turns his back on the son because he can't look at it. And whenever he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What does God say? God says absolutely nothing. But it does not mean that God wasn't there. For on the third day, God did exactly what he promised he would do. He raised his son from the grave once and for all. He's alive forevermore. Are you hearing what I'm preaching to you today? But the Bible says it's, I've been active. I've been diligent. And I feel like you've let me down. For the children of Israel forsaken your covenant. They torn down your altars. Killed your prophets with the sword. He says I am the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. He begins to question God's will. Elijah is basically saying Lord I've worked for you. Come on to the piano, dear. I've worked for you. <laughs> Watch this. I have worked for you when others were forsaking you. I rebuilt altars for you when other people were tearing down altars. What he's trying to tell him is I have been faithful. Why in the world do I have to go through this? Why am I experiencing this meltdown? So as we go on in verse 11 through 13, I won't read it for time's sake. Elijah looks for God. The Bible says he comes. The wind, the earthquake, God's not in any of those. But then there's a still small voice. You are hiding under a juniper tree, man of God. Now you're hiding in a cave, man of God. What are you doing here, Elijah. Can I tell you what I love about that scripture? He called him by name. What are you doing here? Can I tell somebody today? He knows your name. Can I tell somebody today? He not only knows where you are. He knows who you are. 
He not only knows where you are, I said He knows who you are. And He called to the man of God by name and said, Elijah, I still know who you are. I still have not forsaken you. I've not given up on you. I haven't shut you out. I'm still beside you, man of God. There's more work for you to do. What you've got to do is you've got to get out of this cave. You've got to get out of this under this juniper tree. You need to eat your food. There's a woman waiting for you. There's a young man by the name of Elisha. That you're about to run into. Alone. Exaggerating problems. Inactive. He forgets the greatest victory of his life on Carmel. And now he's questioning whether or not God's called him to even do this job. Whether he's even worthy to be a prophet. But down the road there's a man named Elisha. And this young man. Is going to become the little mentee. And Elijah. The depressed, meltdown, crazy man who calls fire down from heaven and runs from a woman, that man is going to be his mentor. Can I hear somebody just in your heart just say, Thank God that Elijah didn't quit? Because if Elijah would have quit, there's a possibility there would be no Elisha. Because we had to have Elijah for Elisha. On the Mount of Transfiguration, Moses and who? Elijah are standing on the mountain. Thank God that man of God didn't quit. He got up from out from under the juniper tree. And I'm here to tell somebody today, it's time for you to get out of your depression. It's time for you to get out of your anxiety and say, God's taken away from me. But the Lord will also give back to me. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I am going to be faithful. And God is going to pull you through just like He did Elijah. And then Elisha's walking beside him. You remember the story. The mantle falls of Elijah. Elisha picks up the mantle. It is at that moment that he receives what? A double portion of the spirit of Elijah. What are you trying to tell me, Pastor? I'm trying to tell you to hold on because somebody else depends on you. I'm telling you to hold on because there's a younger generation that's watched you serve God for years. If you quit now, what are they going to think about it? If you quit serving God now, if you curse God and die now, if you decide that there's nothing else for you to do, you've already outlived your state. God doesn't have it. Maybe I'm not even supposed to be alive. God, just go ahead and take my life. I've come to tell you today there's somebody like an Elisha that's depending on you that you're going to be the only person that can help them when they're going through a meltdown. Hold on, child of God. Now's not the time to melt down. Now is the time to receive victory. In Jesus' name. Let's all stand. I'm closing. My God, I'm closing. Father, right now in the name of Jesus. Heads are bad, eyes are closed. Somebody said, Pastor, I'm the one. I, I'm going through a meltdown right now. I mean, I'm stressed out. I feel depressed sometimes. I feel like I don't know which way to go. I got things on my plate with my family. I've been trying my best to get my children to listen. I've been trying my best to, to win them to Jesus Christ. Every time I try to do it, God, it seems like there's a wall that is in the way. I'm about to melt down. I'm about to give up. God sent me to tell you, sir. God sent me to tell you, ma'am, it is not time to give up. You need to hold on just a little while longer. God did it for Elijah. God is going to do it for you don't allow your enemy to rejoice over you. In the end, if you're faithful, you will have the victory.
Can we pray together right now in Jesus' name? If you need to pray, you can come to the altar. Feel free. I never want to not give somebody an opportunity if you want to pray today. Then I want you to come forward. There's people coming. Come on. If you feel the need to pray today, I never want to preach something like this and not give you an opportunity to come talk to your Lord. Oh my God, help us, Lord, to hold on a little longer. Help us to be faithful a little longer. Help us not to give up. Help us to hold on. Help us to keep believing. It's going to get better. It's going to get better because God said it is. Oh, hallelujah. As people are coming and praying, you can come and you can pray with them if you like. Let's have a moment. Pastor Brian, go ahead. Oh, my praise, it all belongs to you. Yes, it all belongs to you. Yes, it all belongs to you. It all belongs to you. You alone deserve my worship. All right, guys, I want everybody to lift your hand this way. We got Grant. He's going to be going to serve our country. We thank you and honor you for that, Grant.
But we want to pray, Gap Hill, we're going to pray the blessings of God on him, the safety and protection that he needs, the strength he needs for his journey ahead. He's got a long road ahead. We know that God's going to be with him. So could you help me as we close today to lift your hand? Just pray this way. Father, we thank you for Grant today. Thank you, Lord, for his sacrifice to go and to serve this great nation that we call free. Father, we pray right now the blessings of God on him. We pray right now in Jesus' name, Lord, the strength that he is going to need. Let him know that his Gap Hill family, that we are here for him. God, even though we may not be able to talk to him as often, Father God, we are able to pray for him. And so I'm asking you, Father, that you would help every one of us, that we would support him with our prayers. And Father, even though we may not be able to see him and talk to him, he will be able to feel the power and the strength that's coming from this church, his home church. Father God, the prayers that we're praying for him, Father. Lord, let your will be done in his life as he goes on his journey. In the name of Jesus, safety and protection we ask. Amen. Amen. God bless you all today. If you're praying, continue to pray. You can shake hands and be friends. We love every one of you. See you tonight at 6 o'clock. Hallelujah. Play some music for me, Brian. Get some music.